Hey, Corinne. Anything happened today? I think I uh, killed a goose today, Vance. What? This is Tangent Party, a show about the things we get lost in. Each week, we solve a rabbit hole that sucks us in, and then see how many tangents we can generate. Hi, I'm your host, Kieran, and with me is the unflappable Vance. Hello. Oh, Vance, you have a tangent for me? Yes. This week, I found out a bit of a rabbit hole in the Altamont Free Concert. So, your Altamont Free Concert? Yes. Altamont, so it's A-L-T-A-M-O-T. It's a race speedway in California. You're probably wondering why, of all things, that you want to talk about this today. Yeah, I didn't. I know. I know you're a fan of Fast and Furious, but I didn't realize you're that big of a fan. Well, here's the secret too: is I'm also a music fan. So the Altamont Free Concert is one of the most notorious concerts in in Western music. Okay. So it's an event that took place in 1969. The headline of the concert was Rolling Stones, and the Rolling Stones are like, do you know who the Rolling Stones are? Yeah. So here's this is the big part, the biggest difference. Do you know how big of a deal the Rolling Stones were? Yeah, sure. I mean, I always pretend with boomers that I've never heard of them just so I can <laughs> shock them. I love seeing boomers get shocked when I tell, tell them I don't know who Freddie Mercury is or who Rolling Stones is. I know who they are, but I just seeing that reaction in their eyes that they are irrelevant and that really charges me up. I really enjoy that feeling. So, yes, I do know. I do know who they are, but I'll never admit it to any boomer. Just steal the soul of all boomers. <laughs> I, I love it. That's my favorite feeling in the world. Sometimes I wonder if I'm like a, meant to be like a serial killer or something. I see, like, I see the light go out of their eyes. <laughs> you know what, though? So this concert, it wasn't just uh, Royce was the headliners, but it was actually originally a Grateful Dead concert and had Santana, Jefferson Airplane, Cosby, Stills, and Nash. Like, this is some serious boomer shit. Like, this is like prime boomer stuff, right? Okay, so so did the concert start in 1969, or was that the only time that it took place? It took place once, for, and that's what makes it so fascinating. The people have called this the hippie movement died. Was this concert oh, died? Died. This is what killed the hippie movement. That's obviously not true, but like it's kind of a, it's definitely the end of that style of of concert. And what was the what was that other hippie event in the '60s that boomers fucking love? Woodstock. And yeah, that's Woodstock. The key okay, so here's the okay. Yeah, this sets the stage for me. Thank you. So. So Woodstock took place four months before Altamont in New York State. So that's okay. also, if you're also curious, like, why the fuck do the boomers love Woodstock so much? It's because, one, it was, it had, it had all the big bands of the day. And two, it was in New York State. So it got insane amount of media covered. And basically, so this takes place four months later. And the idea was, like, this Woodstock thing was, was this Woodstock thing was incredible. Things are blowing up. The hippie stuff is really blowing up in, in San Francisco around. Let's do our own Woodstock. Like that was the, the what was the initial idea? So the band convinced the Rolling Stones to play. The Rolling Stones were like, again, this is again, the Beatles are Rolling Stones. They're the only they're the two biggest bands in the world for a long, long time. But obviously for Boomers, probably they're only two good big bands in the world, right? Like if you want to write freak, freak out Boomer, say you don't know who the Beatles are. <laughs> the Beatles are. <laughs> that would send them in a tizzy. Then I said that I'm, I might have a seizure if you said that to me. Like how's that? Like physically, that's impossible. Like. <laughs> Oh yeah, saying like, oh, I don't know who Elvis is. That's yeah, that, that that's a bit much. They know you're fucking with them. That's it's like the in between bands that you gotta pretend you don't know. Yes, but that's the interesting thing because the Rolling Stones, like, I think here's the thing with Rolling Stones, right? Like, um, 
Like they didn't, they never, they never Kurt Cobain themselves or uh, Beatles themselves. Like the Beatles had like an insane run and then they broke up. The Rolling Stones never broke up. They continuously played this whole time. Oh, they're and, still together. Oh yeah, they're, st- they're still, they're all still alive, which is what? amazing. Yes, yes. Oh my god. Yes. Ironically, that's one of the reasons why they're a little less relevant is because, and they, they they've been continuously releasing albums. They haven't for a while now. But but they, none of them hit like, none of the albums hit in the way that their original stuff did, right? So that's why they're that's why they're not held in the same regard as the Beatles because they're all still alive and they're all still they've all they've been present for a long time at this point. Yeah, um, there's no uh, no better way to increase your staying power than either killing yourself or breaking up and not making any more music. So it makes you a more valuable commodity. Exactly. Uh, but hey, don't you worry. The Rolling Stones, they're doing all right. <laughs> like so, so yeah. they're, they're not as notorious or like not as like maybe like valued as they could be. But the only difference is they got to they got to live as millionaires for forty years. So they probably won that one. Yeah, they're doing all right. So so circle back to this Altamont. So Woodstock happens, and then yeah. four months later, people decide we have we want to create our own Woodstock. So yeah. let's throw this uh, Altamont free concert. Yeah, exactly. And I'm not going to do a beat by beat because there's actually a ton of fascinating details of this thing, but life's too short. But there's two things. They want to get a concert venue, but the problem is they're having a hard time because this thing is coming together super fast. Like, it's four months, right? They got, and the Rolling Stones only agreed to do it because they basically did a dead tour and everybody was bitching how expensive the tickets were. So they're like, okay, we'll do a free concert at the end. So they got, it's, it's, so it's literally a free concert. That's why it's called Altamont Free Concert because it was completely free to go to. And they're trying to get this thing together. And at the, at the last minute, they found the place. They found Altamont. Um, like it was, it was a raceway. The guy said, yeah, you can totally do the thing here. But, but that's the big thing is this place was not logistically set up at all to handle this thing. Like 300,000 people showed up to this event. Holy shit. Wait, wait, wait. Was this the original fire Festival? <laughs> well, you know what? It's worse than the Fire Festival because the Fire Festival was a disaster, but but never happened. This one happened, and bad things happened. A lot okay. of bad things happened. Okay, so the okay, first keep problem, rolling. Okay, so the first problem was so they have a stage. This stage, it's not like the stage you're thinking of, right? Because like, okay, we just think of a stage nowadays. Like, it was a stage, right? It's like it's a metal, it's a metal gate, a bunch of like a, a crowd of bouncer dudes, and then then usually another gate, and then the stage is raised up at least six feet above the audience. This shit was on the ground level, basically, like slightly raised. This is a bad idea. Imagine having like nothing, like not even a, barely even like a fence protecting protecting the band from your from the crowd. Bad idea, right? I guess the concern is people might just rush the bouncers and get up the stage. No, there were bouncers. This is why this is so influential. Everything about concerts changed after this event. Because oh, wow. it went so bad, all the exhibitors of concerts basically changed their whole work practices afterwards. It, it became a professional organization. Before then, it really was just like really like, oh yeah, I got a stage. We got a band. Like, we, can, we can do this, right? But the, the, the organizers weren't idiots. They looked at this like, this is this is stupid as hell to put Mick Jagger on the stage behind in front of like 300,000 people or how many... Wait, they didn't expect that many, that many people to show up. That's also key. But like, they knew it was dangerous. But like, okay, so they had a plan. They approached the Hells Angels. And they said, and, "What? <laughs> yes." And they they went to the Hell's Angels, and they, and and this is time when the Hell's Angels were were kind of hanging out a lot, right? Because they're the Hell's Angels, so they were they were present in, in there was a presence in that scene. And they basically were like, "Okay, here's the deal: we are going to give you, we want you to hang out around the stage so people don't rush the stage. We're not explicitly telling you the bound to be bouncers." We want you to hang out around the stage so people don't bounce you. If you read the descriptions of it, everyone has their own story. What the, what the Hell's Angels' jobs were. Some people say, like, no, we hired to be bouncers. Our, the Hell's Angels say, like, they hired us to just stand there and be tough. 
And if like a little fight breaks out, do that. If someone goes to the stage, pull them off the stage. You know, like, our job was to look tough and like deal deal with some minor stuff. We were never hired to be professional bouncers. And the way they paid the Hell's Angels was five hundred dollars in beer. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! And I and I looked that up by the way, and that's that's equal to about three thousand five hundred dollars in beer in today's dollars. So basically, their only security plan is we're gonna get the biggest band in the world onto the stage. There's no 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 physical guards, and we're gonna have the Hell's Angels hang out and be tough and give them three thousand dollars of beer. This is our security plan. So I'm I'm curious, why didn't they just hire bouncers? Because the, the professional like bouncer concept, all this stuff, like they always exist. It, it it doesn't seem this way because it was not that long ago. But things in that in, in that industry had changed so much in sixty years. And this event specifically was like that's why people say it's the death of the indie of the indie of the hippie era. Because after this, you couldn't just do a concert with like the big bands. We need we need we need logistics. We need. Like you had to be, you had to run as a business, right? Because it was, it had gone to such a critical mass. It couldn't just be like, oh, we're, having a, we're a fun group of people in the bar. It's like, no, this is now such a critical mass. We need, we need professional bouncers. Like, there needs we be, need pros to run this fucking thing. Because before, like, there just weren't pros. Like, if you ran a bar, you would hire a big guy to stand and throw people out, right? Like, that was what what it was. Like, it's it's crazy how how completely it was how, not how things controlled. have evolved. Yeah. yeah. Not professional at all. It was very thrown together, and it worked for so long, right? Until it got to these 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 critical masses of people. Okay, so 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 yeah, so basically, no physical guards, no bouncers, or you know, hell's angels as bouncers. What else? Okay, so so first things first. Oh, so this is our interesting thing. This is the most fascinating thing. Is at the time the Rolling Stones actually there was a they they hired a documentary group, and it was actually very revolutionary. Where a a documentary group signed up, started actually following the Rolling Stones, and they 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 met Mick Jagger and they got along. It's like we're gonna record all your concerts, and then we're gonna put together like a big tour video, which documentary. Like uh, even the idea of a concert series was 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 new. So this was all revolutionary concepts, and so there was a documentary which actually recorded all this <laughs> <laughs> so there's way more footage here than there was and that's actually why one reason woodstock is so legendary too because it was in new york state there were a lot of video cameras relatively at that time so th- there was a lot of video footage of woodstock so that kind of built into the legacy right and that's part of the reason they, they, they did this is like well woodstock had all this stuff so we're gonna we're also going to uh, video record all this stuff and then we're going to, this is going to be the new Woodstock of the West. This is even how I fell down this rabbit hole, by the way, was George Lucas was one of the, one of the, the video, video recorders of this documentary, of this event. Wow. Like Star Wars George Lucas. That's crazy. That, yeah, that's how he got his start is, is on, the concert, on the concert circuit as a, video, as, as a videographer, basically. Yes. And you know, ironically, is that his camera jammed in the first like, couple hours and he, there's no footage of his stuff. But he was there and he was recording. That was his job at the time. It, it just proves that regardless of what he does, he's just a shitty director. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you know, he had one good idea and then he's just, you know, fucking, he's banked his entire life on that one good idea. I wish I had one good idea. That <laughs> <laughs> hey man, good for him. He's milked that thing, but it just shows that apart from that, he had nothing else going on. Anyway, you keep building this up. So what happened? Okay, so they start doing the concerts, right? And it already starts off bad. Way more people, like three hundred thousand people, show up. They're not ready for this, right? Because like you just have a group of like the only the only logistics you have are a group of Hell's Angels. So right off the get go, so Santana plays first. It goes, it goes okay. But they're like, yeah, the crowd's pretty rowdy. 
Then the next guy, a different air for airplane happens, and one of the Hell's Angel guys actually knock out one of the one of the lead singers of Jefferson Airplane. Why? Because immediately people are rushing the stage. Like the the Hell's Angels, they they showed up, they get hammered and push and, and deal with the odd stuff. Like they did not sign up to be bouncers, right? No, but why would the Hell's Angels knock off a, a lead singer of the Jeffrey's Airplane? Because FJ Airplane Man was like, this is a fucking 60s hippie band, man. There's like 25 people on there. And they probably didn't even know. They probably didn't even recognize him as the lead singer. <laughs> no, they just thought it was some guy who yeah. went on the stage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so right at the get-go, it's it's going bad, right? It's going real bad. And, and throughout the night, it accelerates. And, and so much so, like, so the Grateful Dead, like, they actually, this was actually their concert. They, they were kind of key putting together. They refused to play because they looked at this like, this is going bad. We're not going on stage. So the crowd's getting rowdy. The crowd's getting drunk. Because this is also, this is not like now where you go to a concert, you get frisked like 15 times. Like people fucking showed up with like 15 bottles of vodka and some meth, right? And it was a crazy concert. So, but the climax comes is, so, so the Rolling Stones, it's time for them to come, right? So they come in on a helicopter. Like, so they're, they're not there on site. So again, like, so this is very slapdash. Like, okay, we'll get the Roy Stones over here. But they start late because one of their band members missed the helicopter. <laughs> so the Rolling Stones are already late. So people are already pissed. And then things start, and, and then, then they start playing. But right at the get-go, Mick's like, this is out of control. And they introduce say, we're too scared. We, we have to do our set because if we don't do our set, it's going to be a crazy riot, right? Like the, yeah. the crowd's that ramped up. And the climax of it happens is that, okay, so this one guy, he tries to get on stage. He rushes the stage initially, and the Hells Angels, they throw him off. And at this point, the Hells Angels, they're fucking hammered. They've had $3,000 worth of beer. <laughs> <laughs> and they actually said the crowd was getting so rowdy, they actually went to their bikes, and they, put, they, go, they grabbed a bunch of chains, and they literally got sawed off pool cues. And then, then they were literally beating people back using chains and pool cues. Like, that's how crazy it was. Oh, my God. And the climax of it, it happens is so there's one guy he gets thrown off the stage and then his, and and he's like I gotta get on stage I'm gonna get on stage and his girlfriend even was like please like, do not run the stage don't run the stage they actually they did test on him later and he was cra- he was meffed up he had an insane amount of meth in the system at the time and and he so he rushes the stage and he actually he rushes the stage and he actually pulls a gun out so one of the hell <laughs> yeah so one of the hell's angel guys he grabs him stabs him twice kills him instantly. What? Yeah, and this is in, this is in the documentary video, by the way. There's, it's, so the documentary they, they didn't know this because it was just so crazy. There's so much crazy shit going on. This is in the this is in the video, and they show they show see the guy, and very clearly it shows them. He they see the gun in the video, and they show the Hell's Angel guy stab him twice directly. He probably dies from that. In total, though, he had he he had a whole bunch of stab wounds in his, in his front. He had a whole bunch of stab wounds in his back. And people say that the Hell's Angels just kicked them when he was down too. So they they put him they, they put him down basically, right? Like uh, aggressively. And but the Rolling Stones didn't see this. They, they said, "Calm down, calm down." Like, they kept trying to calm people down. They finished their set and they got the fuck out of there. So the next day it clears up, and they basically do and they, they look at the deaths here. So the total deaths were so it was the one stabbing incident, and then there's the there was two hour deaths. One guy he got super high in LSD and drowned in a mud pile, and then there were two hits or two people die from hand runs where people hit hit them with their vehicle and just drove away oh my god so just pure unbridled chaos and the the place was just completely annihilated like that the ultimate free con the ultimate speedway was just completely fucked up and it was because of this like this whole incident was like it basically changed everything about concerts we need to become a professional organization 
In terms of the fallout of the concert, so the Hells Angel was actually acquitted, and for he, he he didn't get charged because and it was because of that documentary footage. They clearly showed that guy had a gun, right? So they said, so he actually walked away with no charge as a result wow. of, of that guy brandishing that weapon. But everything changed after that. There's no more unprofessional concerts. It all was now. It was now the concert you know now. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> like yeah. It sounds like they basically rented this freeway, put some. Sound uh, put a sound stage up, hired a couple of Hell's Angels, and they were like, "Yeah, free concert, come on over." Yeah, but what nah. could happen? What could yeah. also the biggest band in the world is here? What could happen? Yeah, no kidding, right? So I, I guess I'm, I'm curious, how did it get shut down? So once the you know Rolling Stones leaves, they fly away in their helicopter. Like, what happens? Like, do, is there like a mass riot, or just people leave peacefully once it's done? So it was always a one-day concert. Like that was our thing too. So, so it ended. They basically and, and people just went home. Like it was like so people went wild for the night. People went back to their campgrounds. They slept. And they went home, and then it was it was afterwards. Did you really have a sense of the carnage of everything that happened that day? Wow. So yeah. So if you were like somewhere, like in a far away, like you know, three hundred thousand people away, you're probably having an okay time. Yeah, you had a great time because this concert was crazy. As a concert, I think it would have been a fun ask. It would have been, if you didn't die or get uh, get get brutalized in some way, it probably would have been one of the finest nights of your life in terms of because it was the biggest band in the world in a free concert. There was no rules at all. Yeah. So again, a lot of bad things probably happened during there, but if nothing bad happened to you, it's probably the best night of your life. You know. Yeah, and unlike Fire Festival, you didn't get fleeced out of your money. Uh, you know, assuming you didn't die. And you had no other issues. You were, you know, you went, you slept it off, and you went home. So the total death count was sounds like about like under ten. Yes, under ten. So again, for three hundred thousand people, it was relatively small. And I think the reason that it was so legendary was because the Hell's Angel, because they hired Hell's the Angel, stabbing. they stabbing. Yeah, like, that's what makes it so notorious. They're lucky nothing worse happened, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. Like it, it, there, there could have been like multiple people who rushed onto the. Onto the onto the stage, right? As opposed yeah. to just one guy. Yeah. I've rushed the stage when I was younger. You know, when we've had concerts in Calgary, I've actually seen Andrew WK live at the Legion. Oh man, I, that sounds like the, the perfect place to see Andrew WK. Yes, right. And uh, it was a small venue, like a high energy concert, and you know, big mosh pit. But at the same time, you know, fairly respectful. People weren't being dicks or anything. And towards the end, like you know, yeah, I like you know, I rushed the stage along with everybody else. Yeah. And but it was like it was like I think it was part of the show. Yes. To get on the stage and hang out and and you know, mosh on or you know jump up and down on the on the stage, right? And I'm pretty yeah. sure, sure I like lost my glasses. I, you know, I got cut on the face, <laughs> but it, you know, but it wasn't anything like malicious per se. You know, it was just part of being in a mosh pit, right? Nothing to this crazy extent that you're talking about. Okay, so this is the part where I tell you I tricked you because I actually want to talk about Woodstock '99. Woodstock '99, holy shit! What is? I've never heard of that one. Oh, this is the this is the modern example of a concert going incredibly bad, incredibly bad. So so set it up. So is this is this like a bunch of boomers trying to live their glory days and trying to recreate Woodstock? No, this is a bunch of boomers being Woodstock is a brand that we can market. Nice. And we are going to do Woodstock. So there were, there were two revival Woodstocks. There was Woodstock 94, which I'm not going to talk about because it's 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 its own gong show in some ways, but I'm not going to get into that because Woodstock 99 is an incredible gong show. So so before we get into Woodstock 99, let's 
let's talk about the original Woodstock because I've always been fascinated by it because what like you know in terms of why boomers love it so much and why it's such a mainstay of our cultural zeitgeist yeah. but at the same time I've been too lazy to look into it so so for those uh, who are unfamiliar with Woodstock and why it's so such a massive piece of our cultural sort of memory explain to me what what it is so the key theme of Woodstock was so it was a concert that happened in 1969 so right at the tail end of that hippie movement so that's why it's always done but one of the, one of the big things about it, though is it had all the big bands of the time when you think about Coachella or you think about Sasquatch or any of these major festivals where they get all the popular bands Woodstock in lots of ways was the original one okay so, okay yeah, and and the reasons that so the reason that holds in our in holds this cultural place is it's is this timing is that it was before Altamont, so so it was kind of the height of like hippie good vibes, drug vibes. Two, nothing bad, nothing super bad happened, which is I think a very important thing. So it's not it's not infamous at all. And three, because it was in New York State, there's an unusual amount of video audio recordings of the event. So that's why a relatively like because as a concert, you look at it now, it's like. Coachella was like 50 times bigger than this shit. Like this was this was a very small festival in the grand scheme of things. But it was like a very it was the bands that are very popular for boomers in that very it very much was the zeitgeist bands with no major incidents. But it was also it was also very loosely organized, so people it had that free spirit. Like you weren't paying eighteen dollars for a bottle of water there. You didn't have to be professional yet, and nothing very bad happened. And that's why it was so it was, that's why it's so iconic. Yeah, like sounds like it was first off its sort of mega multi-day concerts that sort of maybe brought on a wave of these type of concerts yes but it was still indian cool because nothing bad happened and everybody's like oh this is amazing this was an amazing experience of my life and yeah. you know sort of boomers collectively got stuck in that amazing uh amazing time period okay so so fast forward basically 30 years sorry 26 years woodstock 94 yeah, it sounds like that was a that was a garbage show. It was but a bit then, boodoggle, but like it, it wasn't nothing super bad happened. It was a very poorly organized festival, and one of the key things that they had is a lot of people showed up. So the one thing they realized in Woodstock '94 is way more people showed up than they sold tickets, which tells them like, okay, our security wasn't good enough. The facilities weren't up to the task. It rained a lot, but ultimately yeah. it was a kind of successful show. They didn't make that much money off it. That's why there was no Woodstock '95. Yeah, they it sounds like it was just disorganized, yeah. but nothing actually bad happened. Yes, but okay. Woodstock '99, everyone's boomers now. We have a brand here. This is Woodstock. We got to use this brand. We got to market <laughs> this shit. Okay, okay, and yeah. and and so they they is it the same organizers who who throw this on? I'm not exactly sure. There's definitely some lineage there, but I did quickly briefly read Wikipedia, and they say that MTV took over very quickly. And this is also why it's such a key part of me is because this took place in the summer of 1999. In the summer of 1999, Young Vance was bored as hell in Brandon Manitoba watching much music in his basement. <laughs> so I watched all and, and MTV and much music. They actually had, they covered the whole thing. The whole thing. So they had these big towers where they had the broadcasters and they were watching the whole thing unfold. So I got to watch this whole thing happen in real time. Nice, nice. Okay, so so set it up. Okay, so the big thing about this, because okay, so first first thing they learned is like after Woodstock '94, it's like step one, we didn't make any money off Woodstock '94. We're not gonna make that mistake again. So they built big plywood walls. 
they they made sure that people couldn't sneak in because they 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 were pissed they were pissed how many people just basically walked in last time. They jacked the shit out of everything, right? They they jacked up like so when you were in the, on the grounds, you were paying eight, eight bucks for a, a ball of water. Which in yourself like okay, it's a concert, right? But at the time that was not what was expected, right? Like it, it was, was it, it was Woodstock, but capitalist. Yes, is what it was. And <laughs> it was set, it was set in a small town of Rome, New York. Which also like they Rome, New York is not up for the logistics of that many people showing up. Right, right. So immediately it's a disaster because there's a couple problems. One, it's forty degrees Celsius that weekend, and waters is eight bucks a, a bottle. And they do have public water fountains, but not nearly enough. So immediately, they smash one of the public water fountains. And just so that you have a pipe sp- squirting <laughs> up water. Nice. Yeah, yeah, so immediately, things, things are starting to go sour pretty fast. And our thing, too, is the porta potties even though they sold the tickets, they did not have enough porta potties for people. They not, so there was no solution for water. There was, the, the showers broke immediately because they had a campground running. So the facilities were breaking down real fast. So people are pissed because everything too is tickets were expensive. Like this wasn't fucking a free concert. This was an expensive concert. So they, they put a lot of attention to making sure that they could get their money, but not, but all, when they got in, all the facilities were not equipped. And I, and the reason I remember this is because I watched this in real time happen. And my good buddy, Ed the Sock was there nice. <laughs> commenting on like, this is bullshit. And the climax of it took place on Saturday night when the most Woodstock band of them all, Limp Biscuit came on stage. <laughs> What? Yes. Limp Biscuit? What is this thing? Yes, because it's 1999. Who's the, the hardest, hardest? The hardest band of the 90s, late 90s, Limp Biscuit. They, they were the opening act or the headliners? The headliners. This is. This oh is, my god. This is, this is, this is serious is, shit. Yeah, this is like this is fucking happening, man. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so Limp Biscuit comes on. People yeah. are hot. People are thirsty. People are pissed. They're mad as fuck. And again, people criticize Limp Biscuit and they don't criticize Limp Biscuit. I feel like they came, they did their job. They, I, I don't, I don't criticize Fred, Fred, Fred Joseph for what happened because some people claim that he incited a riot. But look, riot took place, and it happened immediately after Limp Biscuit. And there was, <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so was it because of Limp Biscuit, or was it because the music? Well, no, was it because the music was bad, or was it because no. people already just pissed already? People were fucking furious. There's a, there's a very famous scene. So remember I told you about the, the, the plywood walls they they built, right? People right. started ripping them down because they, they right. were just furious. Like the security, they, they, they never. So people would never rush the stage like in the way that they rush the stage in in our, because because. At that point, they learned their lesson. Like they protect the talent, right? Like they figured that shit out. But everything else was fucking was was fair was game. Old, fair game. And there's a very famous scene of where they ripped up the plywood, they put it up as crowd surfing, and Fred Jersh jumps on the plywood. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I know it's kind of incredible. <laughs> Damn, I wish I was there now when I was 19. Oh yeah, like yeah, and, and, and again, some people did die, and there's some, there's a lot of accusations of some real bad stuff that went down. But like, in again, again, in general, but people were fucking furious. And remember, I told you what those towers where the broadcast studios were? Right. They ripped. They started ripping those down. Like Holy people, shit! They fucked it up in a, in a real serious <laughs> way. <laughs> so did they actually bring those uh, those towers down as well? Yeah, they brought. They did. I think I know they toppled at least one. I'm not sure how many they toppled because I, I remember very, I remember very explicitly. I was watching Must Music. I can't remember which VJ it was, and they're just like they just toppled one of the broadcast towers. We are out of here, <laughs> and they just basically and all the music stations basically pulled all their pulled their pulled their their staff out of there. Right? Like oh my it, god! It was like it was crazy. 
So what happens next? I mean, is this what is this like a flames, you know, going into the playoffs type of riot, where it's like a happy riot? People are, or is this like a fucking Montreal, you know, Canadians going into the playoffs <laughs> and them winning, and people still getting stabbed, even though the the Canadians won. No, they smashed the shit out of that place. And basically all the vendors basically just like, because if you were running a shop, you're like, you read that atmosphere and you just got out of there. Because that, yeah. I think that was the key thing. It's like, if you were an organizer part of, the, part of the event, you, at some point, you just basically like got out. You left, you left. And they basically, and the, and the crowd, so one of the, one of the things was even on Saturday night, when it, there was like that big wall, right? So you were supposed to go through the usual gate check stuff. They, they smashed open the wall when to get to the temp, to the campground. So they just basically smashed the shit out of every out of that whole site. And then Sunday Sunday morning they went home, and that whole area was just completely smashed up. This is I mean this is super fascinating. I love this kind of stuff, you know, because I, I like personally I've never experienced that kind of a concert, but I have experienced you know the Flames, you know the Red Mile, right? The Flames are making the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I think we were you know second or third year of university. Like I didn't give a shit about like I didn't give a shit about the Flames. I just was happy that they were in the playoffs and the yeah. city you know came alive and there was all these like amazing activity happening on 17th Ave right the people just sort of there was no riots but people like marching up and down and it was a fun uh, atmosphere right yes. but it's interesting how the first year that it had happened that you know people like almost like lose all inhibitions right yeah. like you know the most famous example of that is where women would flash their titties to the crowds right tops off for kiffers off yeah, tops off or kick Kipras off, and like women would like willingly like flash yeah. their titties. I think they just caught up in the moment. It was like Mardi Gras in Calgary. It was kind of insane. You nailed it. You nailed it. It was Mardi Gras, like no inhibitions, right? For a city that is relatively conservative. And of course, you know, the funniest part about this was like, I think a couple of years later, a researcher wanted to do some research into why all these women like willingly flashed their oh, titties, yeah. and no single woman stepped up. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? I think that's a key, I think that's a key part about that though, too, right? It was a pre-smartphone era that this took place in. Exactly. Like, no, you nailed it. You nailed it. And because and, I I was I was heavy into photography back then, and back yeah. then I was still using film, right? <laughs> and there was a certain sort of pride to using film because it's you know it was a difficult medium. It's pain ass. Know. It was pain. Sure. <laughs> yeah. You know, I had like four roles and I had to be like incredibly conservative in what kind of shots I took. And I used to shoot purely like black and white back then. Uh, so I had like four roles. I had to be careful. And, you know, you, you sort of go take these shots, you develop them. A week later, you don't know what you're getting. And then you get a bunch of shots and you just scan them in. And then you'd like fucking upload them on the internet, right? Or I think they provided you a CD. And then you copy pasted, you know, those photos into like, you know, Facebook or, or whatever online medium you had back then, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then literally a few years later, people just take up their phone and take a photo. And then I think all that kind of flashing just disappeared completely, right? Well, the Red Bull was a real, it, it was a real phenomenon, right? Okay, five years from now, everything's good. And and they got into, they won the Stanley Cup and they had a Red Mile. It would not resemble the Red Mile of that time because it was a very it, it, it truly was it, it just kind of happened you know and everybody and the whole city was in the spirit and you can't recreate that kind of just instantaneous exuberance. For example, when the Edmonton got in the playoffs, they had they they had their white ass stuff, but like, it was it was it wasn't the same thing, right? Like the cops had to get involved or in Vancouver when they got in there, they basically had riots and that was just stupid. Like that was literally yeah. just stupid. It tells you the quality of the people in Vancouver um, and Montreal as well, right? Cause in Montreal, the Canadians actually won, I think, and their people still got stabbed. And I, that yeah. blew my mind. Like you guys won. Why are you stabbing each other? 
right? But you're right. You, you're very correct. The first time it, it happened, I think in 2005 or whatever, it was a very, very organic thing. Like it yes. just happened. Nobody, nobody planned it. Yes. Nobody asked for it. And I no, think nobody blocked off traffic. Like people, like they did eventually after it started happening. That people started doing it, but like it. No, was... no, they, they blocked off traffic. Well, not the first time. The first time it just happened. What do you mean first time? The first year or the first day? The first day. The first time they filled the streets of 17th Ave. That just happened. Like no one had a fucking permits to have the Red Mile. It just kind of happened, and and that was yeah. Was... But people were already walking on the street at that point. Like the, the traffic got shut down. Like it, the drivers on the street, I remember, were pretty happy about it. It was just such an amazing experience. Nobody was like bitching and complaining yeah. about how you know the traffic got shut down. But you're right. I think the subsequent year, the cops got smart. And they were like, no, you cannot walk on the main uh, street anymore. You got to walk only on the sideway. And that killed the entire mood behind yes. Rock and the Red Mile. They just killed it, right? Yeah. But then in subsequent years, I think this was like 10 years later, I think the uh, Flames got into the, into, the, into the playoffs again. And this time the cops got really smart. Yeah. Like I remember going on to, going to the 17th Ave and, and you know, people were now walking on the, on the street. But there was, there was literally cops at every corner and they, everybody had video cams. And they were like shooting the whole thing, right? Because they, you know, they had no idea what was going to go down, and they had like video evidence. And like, you know, the whole, I think, you know, the whole image of a cop standing at a street corner taking a video, I think, just kills the mood. So I think people like automatically behave really well. So it it did change the mood, changed quite a bit. I think over the yeah. ten years, and cops got smarter. You know, in, in some ways, maybe it's a good thing, but it doesn't have that original magic that I think we experienced in like two thousand five or six, right? Yeah, no, and I think that's the key thing is that. The reason they got smarter is they had to. It really was like a, a once in a lifetime experience, and in, in, in general, as Calgarians, Calgarians in general, I view us as not being particularly like friendly to each other. That's how I view a lot of Calgarians. And the Red Mile changed that. It was the most happy and friendly and social I'd ever seen Calgarians in my life. It was a true phenomenon. That is, it's, it's almost like if World War Two. Um, announced that it was ending. It, it was just such an insane experience to live through, and you can't recreate that, right? Because like people can like go for the motions, but it, it truly was. And I don't even understand why Calgarians. Like, I know we're not in the playoffs in a very long time, but I also think it was just like Calgary was just like basically a, a year and a half away from a complete economic collapse. But it was the tail end of like a, basically a bull period of like growth in Calgary, a lot of new people, and like it, it really felt like this city was growing and alive in a, in a way that it has not felt in. A long, long time. Right. It, that that playoff run came at the right time of the city, sort of tipping point before. And I think that it was the same time period. I think Genshi got elected. And there was this yeah. like real sort of a positive wave through the city, right? Things were, yeah. things were good. As, as a city, we were feeling good about yourselves. Yeah. And then this playoffs, playoff comes and then we feel even better, right? So maybe, yeah. maybe that was it. And the players at the time too was like Genla, for example, in his prime was such an unbelievably charismatic player, you know? Like he was <laughs> and even even Kippersoft. Like Kippersoft again, we had we, they had and like what was they what was the crazy hair dude? I can't even remember. But like, it was Kippersoft. He's the one with the big uh, hair, right? You no, know, but he was the he had the big like Scandinavian hair. Talk about the redhead guy. Uh and then again, I'm, this is the wrong podcast for this. For, yeah, <laughs> two of the least informed people about ho- hockey talking about. It. I only, yeah, I only know two guys: Kiprasov and Iginla. And you're right; those guys were the most, in my mind, the most uh, most charismatic of of, of uh, the time. Right? Yeah, I, I don't was, know who the fuck is, is in hockey anymore. I don't give a shit. Oh yeah, well again, you should. I recommend you go to my brother's podcast. Well, no, he does know hockey. You want to know about NFL? I recommend Flex Network and for quality assessment that you will not find here. I'll say that. <laughs> You know, this is a this is a really interesting topic. You know, like I've noticed that you know humans as a species 
like love to get caught up in these like experiences, right? There's something magical. Like people love going to Burning Man. People love going to these outdoor concerts and get, yeah. you know, uh, love getting caught up in the moment. And I, and you know, I don't know what it is. Like even Fire Festival, right? Like people, people will pay yes, yes. for that kind of magical once in a lifetime experiences to be part of something maybe bigger than themselves. Maybe that's what it is, right? Yes. And that's, it goes right back to the Woodstock. People want their own personal Woodstock, right? Anyone who went there said it was. And they're okay, but 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 let's peel that onion back, right? You know, no. what does a personal Woodstock mean? Like, what are the elements of that that people want that that makes people drawn to these like you know events like the Red Mile or Woodstock '99 or Altamont? I think you kind of know it. Um, it has to be spontaneous and it has to be positive. Like the, the thing about that virtual red mile was like, I think someone else got broken. I think a couple of street lamps got broken, but no one was significantly hurt. There was no significant riot. The police never had to shut down. It was good vibes and it yes. was spontaneous. It was not planned. Yeah, you're right. So it was, it was like a positive experience where everyone's there. There's a sense of camaraderie and sense of like uh, togetherness, but that's spontaneous, right? That, and I think for some reason, I think as humans, we we're really drawn to that. And I think it's, I, I honestly think it's because we are drawn to being part of a, a broader uh, collective, Yes, you know, which I think is, is some of the reasons that cults get started. Yes. And I think it's the same thing. Like you want to be part of something bigger than yourself. And I think these concerts or, or any sort of these outdoor events, I think, provide that opportunity. I think, like, and you know, for me, I've never been a big concert guy. Like, I've been yeah. to a couple of outdoor concerts. My favorite one was Lollapalooza. Yeah. To be honest, that's the only one I've been to. And it was a great experience. Like, it was amazing. But I would never do that again. It's just too much work. It's just yeah. easier to sit on your couch and listen to great music <laughs> at better, higher quality. A lot of our friends have been a like, huge music fans. I think there was a big group of friends who would go down to. Sasquatch, I think every summer, I think quite understood why. But yeah, people people love that experience. But here's the, you, the experience you're chasing. It's the same reason you want to Tomatina for your bachelor party, right? Because it, that's true. It, it's very unique, very eventful thing. And the thing I always wonder about Tomatina is, well, there's two reasons. One, that's one reason I had a hard time with that concept because I realized how much fun it could be. Like, fuck, I can't recreate that. That's so hard to do. And two, I'm curious what, what, what Spanish people think about Tomatina. Like, are, is it just like the way I think about the Carrie Stampede where I'm just like, oh, the Carrie Stampede's coming. Yeah, okay. Here we go again, guys. Yeah, I don't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> or is it like, uh, to me, it's like, this is incredible. This is one of the best experiences of my life. But if, if it was something that like, oh, yeah, yeah, Corinne, you wanna you wanna you wanna drive an hour, go to Tomatina this Saturday, it's happening. You'd probably be like, No man, I gotta fucking watch I gotta watch Rick and Morty tonight. I got I got time for this shit. Yeah, I think you're right. As, and as you were talking, I I've, you know, was thinking through all the like amazing experiences I've had. Like I haven't been to Tomatina and you know, just for the, for our listeners who may be joining us for the first time, you know, a few episodes ago, Vance broke down in detail how he tried to plan uh, a tomatina type experience from a bachelor party, which he ultimately could not uh, crack the nut just because he wanted to give me an experience like Spain, which was obviously very tough to recreate in, in Calgary. Yeah, I didn't want to give him a link. I would rather give him no tomatina than a bad tomatina. <laughs> I stand by that. I'll do it today if I, if I had the choice. Yeah, so, so I, I think what humans crave, you know, as a species is like a positive experience that's high in adrenaline, but at the same same time, there's a level of psychological safety. Like, you know, I'm going to go to Tomatina, throw a bunch of fucking, you know, tomatoes, but no, I'm not going to get stabbed, but I'm going to get to experience that that high, just like you go yes. bungee jumping, right? Yeah. 
Uh, same thing, like Storm, I've been Storm Chasing. You know, that's been one of my most favorite experiences. I came you know, face-to-face with like an F5, but it was a relatively safe environment. And I, I think maybe that's what these sort of experiences offer is like you experience like a higher state of arousal, but where you're not going to get killed. I think maybe we're drawn to that states of arousal. And I think one of the key things that separates this even from even from like storm chasing or bungee jumping is that it's a communal experience because I think mm. ultimately humans are social animals. And yes. like a pure, clear, happy communal experience is such a rare experience in your life. It's you, you really do treasure them. Yes, especially ones where you don't get stabbed. Yes, you don't want to get stabbed by the Hell's Angels. That's a bad experience. Suck your house social is. Well, with, with that in mind, let's do the tangent count for this week. Not a very long list. We started off with the Altamont Free Concert, and we spent a lot of time on that uh, topic just because it's such a fascinating subject. From there, we moved into Woodstock, uh, and then uh, you know, Woodstock 94, and then sort of Woodstock 99, and how that, how, how that was a bit of a disaster. And then from there, we pivoted into talking about the Red Mile and how that was such a cultural milestone in the city of Calgary. And then from there, we talked about, you know, why people in general are, are drawn to these experiences where, you know, there's a sense of sort of camaraderie and community and, and togetherness while being in a safe sort of environment at a, in a higher arousal state. So only four topics today, but those were incredibly fascinating um, topics to talk about. Well, that's it, folks. Thanks for tuning into another week of Tangents and Rabbit Holes. You can find all our episodes at tangentparty.com or on any of your favorite podcast apps. Drop us a line at tangentparty.yyc at gmail.com with your thoughts, ideas, feedback, or if you just want to say hello. Follow us on Twitter at tangentparty to get the latest updates. And as always, hit subscribe to get notified of our latest episodes.